If you have your Bible this morning, I'd ask you to turn with me to Luke 12, beginning in verse 13. Title of my message today is Three Lessons from a Fool. We're going to study the word together that relate to that topic. Then one from the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. But Jesus said to him, Man, who made me a judge or an arbitrator over you? And Jesus said to them, Take heed and beware of covetousness. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of the things that he possesses. Then Jesus spoke a parable to them, saying, The ground of a certain rich man yielded plentifully. And when he thought within himself, saying, What shall I do, since I have no room to store my crops? So he said, I will do this. I will pull down my barns and build greater barns. And there I will store all my crops and all my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, you have made many goods laid up for many years. Take your ease. Eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, Fool, this night your soul will be required of you. Then those whose things be which you have provided. So is he who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. This is a very interesting text from God's word. It's one that we're familiar with. It deals with perhaps the most pressing problem, not only in our century, but also it was a big problem in the first century. It's a section of scripture that deals with man's relationship to his material possessions. So relevant is this rich fool to our own generation. His basic attitude toward life is like ours today. His indifference toward God is like ours today all across America. His motive for living... Uh, centering upon self is so much like those today across our land. So like Americans today that it is almost as if Jesus reached out and picked up some individual that we saw in Tampa or New York City or somewhere. And, and we were depicting this person and what he was all about. The average person in America today is like this fool that we're going to study about this morning. This is a story about a very successful farmer. He knew how to farm. He was a good farmer. He planted his crops. He fertilized them. He watered them. He was out there working hard, getting his men to work hard. He was doing everything that he could. And then, of course, he harvested the crop. So plentiful was the harvest that he had to tear down the old barns and build brand new, much bigger barns in which to store all the crops. The story implies, however, that the farmer began to love his material possessions so much that he made the material possessions the Lord of his life the one that was in charge of his life, the foundation of his life. He depended 
on the harvest. He placed his hope in these crops that had come in. He had neither the time nor the inclination to pay any attention whatsoever to God. If a minister had visited him, he would have no doubt have brushed him off with this curt reply. Don't bug me about that religious stuff. I'm doing all right without it. Uh, Look at all this stuff I have. Besides, he would say, I'm too busy to worry about God. I'm just going to sit back and enjoy the good life. But then one night, Jesus said, the rich farmer died. He just died and came face to face with God, whom he, of course, had ignored all of his life. Suddenly, he became aware of the spiritually deprived life that he had lived. And God called him a fool. I want us to learn three lessons from this fool this morning. First, This story about a foolish farmer teaches us that there is more to life than the things that money can buy. There was a construction worker who was fallen upon, who had fallen upon some bad times. You know, when construction workers work, they make a lot of money. They do real well. But when they don't work, there's no money, Uh, none whatsoever. This construction worker had three kids. Uh, It had been two months since he had been able to find any work to do. Their money was all gone. The two boys wore their shoes out by using their shoes as brakes when they were in their little red wagon that they had. They were just doing the things that normal little boys do. He had one daughter, and she loved to skip rope. And she was skipping rope all the time. She wore her shoes, of course, and, and then her shoes were worn out. The father had no money to replace the shoes, and the soles were worn out completely of all of their shoes. The family needed a washing machine. The one that they had was broken. A relative sent $100. The relative knew that they were having a tough time financially, so he sent $100. The construction worker looked in the classified ads uh, for a dishwasher that uh, he could use, and he found one. Uh, The washer was in good condition. It was for sale for $100. And so the man went to check it out. And when he got there, lo and behold, it was a big mansion. You know, and he thought, gosh, this is a big, big house. The couple showed the construction worker the washing machine, and then they began to talk. They talked about a lot of different things. The homeowner liked the worker and asked him what he did for a living. And the construction worker told him, his whole sad story. He even told the homeowner about his children's lack of shoes. 
When he said that, the homeowner's wife began to cry. Big tears were just rolling down her face. And she turned and left the room. And the construction worker said, uh, I hope I haven't said anything wrong. Did I, did I say anything wrong? I apologize if I said anything wrong. And the homeowner said, no, you didn't, you didn't say anything wrong. Um, you wouldn't have had any way of knowing that we have a child that has never taken a step. We would give all that we own for a pair of worn-out shoes. There's more to life than the things that money can buy. In verse 15 in our text, Jesus said, Beware and be on your guard against every form of greed. For not even when one has an abundance of things does his life consist of his possessions. Jesus said some things in life are more important than the things that money can buy. This very point of the story has often been twisted to say something that Jesus did not mean. Jesus did not say it was wrong to have material possessions. He didn't say that. He never said that. Wealth, in fact, could be and has been used to the glory of God. People gave some money to build this church, to build our new building out there, to do things all around the world, to support the missionaries, on and on and on. The Bible does not say that money is the root of all evil. The Bible says the love of money is the root of all evil. Jesus was not nearly as concerned when men had money as he was when the money had the men. Well, Jesus constantly warned everybody against the obsession with material possessions because it was easy, and Jesus knew it, to fall under the tyranny of material things that instead of possessing them, those things possess you. Jesus was not against money, but against the false delusion. That money is the most important thing in life. An American journalist of the past once said this. Money is a good thing to have. And it's good to be able to buy nice things. But it is a good thing to check up once in a while. And make sure that you have not lost the things that money cannot buy. This precisely conveys the meaning of what Jesus is saying in our verses this morning. Whether or not you have a lot of money really doesn't make any difference. Take salvation, for instance. What is more vital to our life than in some way, some place along the way, that we're converted? The feeling of release that comes from forgiveness. Do you remember that? That wonderful feeling of release. The power which comes from the indwelling Holy Spirit. What a wonderful feeling to know that we are never, ever alone. 
The Lord is always with us. The certainty that we are on good terms with the creator of this universe. That's so important. Salvation is something that money cannot buy. What about happiness? What do we do? What do we strive for? What do we want more than happiness? If we were to go over to Tampa somewhere and go in a restaurant and talk to 25 people that were seated there and we were to ask them, what is it that you want the most in life? If they thought about it for a while, they would say, well, we want to be happy. Of course, that's what everybody here today wants, isn't it? I want to be happy. I want you to be happy. Everybody wants to be happy. Happiness can't be bought. You say, oh, yes, it can. (laughs) I bought some stuff and it made me real happy. Well, think about it eternally. Think about it eternally. Happiness is a byproduct of the right relationship to God. Or take peace. How our world craves for peace today. We don't even know how many wars are going on around the world. All over the world, people are fighting, killing each other. I'm not talking about world peace, though. I'm talking about inner peace. The peace inside of our hearts this morning. A peace of mind. The kind of peace that enables us to live with others. And to live with ourselves. Peace is one of life's most precious commodities. But money cannot buy it. It comes to a person that is at peace with God. The message of this story is one that we need to be reminded of in our materialistic age. It's a good thing to have money and the things that money can buy. But it's a good thing, a good idea to check up every once in a while and make sure that we have not lost the things that money cannot buy. That's a very, very important point. Life does not consist in the abundance of our possessions. The second lesson, there is more to life than yourself. The rich farmer exemplifies this selfishness, which so characterizes our modern-day world. When he discovered that he would have an overflow crop, what came to his mind? It came to his mind, I don't want to lose any money on this. That's what he was thinking. What can I do to salvage all the money I can get out of this crop? That was real important. That was the key thing. How could he do that? And he figured out, well, I guess I could build bigger barns. And so that's what he did. How would he enjoy the fruit of his labor? He sat back and said, wine, women, and song. That's what I want, and that's what I can have. Because I had a great, great harvest. His entire world centered around himself. However, when he faced God, God called him a fool. 
Not only because he loved money more than the essential things of life, but also because he had much and was only concerned about getting more. That was all he thought about. His problem was selfishness. In our selfishness, in our self-centered world, we need to hear again the message of this story. There is more to life than yourself. The point of the story has also been twisted to say something Jesus would not support. Jesus was not suggesting that we not develop to our own potential. He is not recommending the kind of self-denial that would lead us to say, I'm a nothing. I can't do anything. A healthy sense of self-worth is essential to effective Christian living. How can we keep these two factors in balance? A healthy respect for self, which is necessary for self-development, and the self-denial that will prevent selfishness from taking root in our lives. How do we do that? Whenever we extend our vision beyond ourselves, out to those others that are not only in Florida but in the United States and in our world, we have discovered a deeper motive for living. And we will escape the scathing epitaph that God gave this farmer when he called him a fool. We will have discovered that that there is more to life than ourselves. The third lesson from the fool, there is more to life than just today. The folly of the rich farmer is not that he neglected the most important things. He did that, of course. It's not that he thought only of himself. He did that as well. The real folly for the rich farmer is that he thought his experience of living filled with wine, women, and song was all that there was. He thought that's it. You know, we make money, we have wine, women, and songs. That's it. That's all it's about. Have a good time. When he woke up one morning to another dimension of life that he had completely ignored all of his life, the eternal dimension, that dimension that he hadn't thought about, he was not prepared for that. He'd been a fool. Dr. William Willimon was one of the outstanding preachers in recent years. He tells an experience he had while serving a, a little rural church in northern Georgia. When one of his members had a relative who died, Dr. Willimon and his wife decided that they would go to the funeral. And they would show their support to the family that was in their church. And so they went. Uh, The funeral was in a little, hot, crowded, off-brand church. 
just a little church. And it was packed because it was so small. Everybody in the neighborhood had come. As the service began, everybody was hot. The coffin was wheeled in. And the preacher began his message as he walked into the room. He shouted and he fumed and he waved his arms all around and he wiped his brow continuously because he was hot and he was sweating and he was jumping all around up there on the platform. And the preacher screamed out, it's too late for Job. Too late for him. He's dead. Too late for Job. He might have wanted to do this or that, but it's too late for him now. He's dead. It's all over for him. He might have wanted to straighten his life out, but he can't. It's over. And then he turned to the family who was sitting right up front, and he said, But it ain't too late for you. People drop dead every day, he said. Now's the day for decision. Now's the time for you to make your life count for something. Now's the time to give your life to Jesus. Well, after the funeral, Dr. Willowman and his wife were driving back to their home. And he said to his wife, that was the worst thing I have ever heard. The worst, absolute, the worst sermon that I have ever heard in my whole life. My whole life. Can you imagine a preacher doing that to a grieving family? He continued, I've never heard anything so manipulative, so cheap, so inappropriate. I would never, ever preach a sermon like that. His wife agreed with him that it was tacky, that it was manipulative, that it was calloused. Of course, she said, the worst part of it all is that all that he said was true. In this story, Jesus is drawing our attention to this reality. We're all going to die. Every one of us, lest Jesus return. When we die, we're going to walk out of the light of this world and into the light that surrounds God. And when we walk into the presence of God, there will be an accounting of our life. We don't want to be a fool. This morning, if you're in the house and uh, you have been thinking, praying, wondering about making a public profession of your faith, I hope that today would be the day. Today would be the day that you take a big, giant step for Jesus. If you're here today, you've been visiting with us for a period of time, and you'd like to go to a church where they preach the Bible and try and appropriate it and apply it to everyday lives today. I hope that you'd come and join with us and and help us as we try to to reach uh, further and further out to minister to all of those that we know about. 
If you're here this morning, you'd like to rededicate your life to Christ, you certainly can do that. You can come up here to the front and kneel at one of these pews and just pray. One of our deacons or one of our staff will come and pray with you. God is speaking to your heart this morning. I pray that you'd really commit yourself to him by making a stand of salvation, by joining the church, by rededicating your life, whatever the Lord would lead you to do. I'm going to stand down here at the front. And if you sense the Holy Spirit working in your heart, then just slip out, slip forward, and take a stand for Jesus. Let's stand as we sing. Thank <laughs> you.